ever gone through something really difficult? I mean, you're going through some of the darkest times in your life, and you're met with this. Cheer up. It's not that bad. It could be worse. Don't, don't worry. Be happy. That's a song. We love that song, right? Or even uh, Hakuna Matata. I always see the meme going around about the, the Lion King. It's like there's a, a, a pig and a little Timon, whatever Timon is, um, telling this kid, don't worry, your dad just died, but, you know, no worries. <laughs> You've probably experienced that. You're going through difficulty and you're met with the don't worry, be happy. Or maybe you've even said it yourself. That's fine, I have. And I've heard this called weaponized optimism, and I think that's a fantastic description of how this feels. Weaponized optimism. You're going through some really difficult stuff, and you're met with, don't worry, be happy. It could be worse, and it feels like a baseball bat to your heart. It can feel so dismissive. Usually it's, it's I think, I want to say, usually it's well-meaning, but sometimes it can feel like, well, whatever trouble I'm going through just bothers you too much. You want me to stop feeling bad in front of you, go off and feel bad by myself. But weaponized optimism, it can feel so dismissive. I bring all of this up because I'm about to read a passage, and it starts with the words, from the mouth of Jesus, do not let your hearts be troubled. And I have had these words many times said to me, the very words of God, and have felt no comfort whatsoever. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, usually that's because they get detached from who said them, what else he said, and what he did. That's the problem. But even the words of Jesus, detached from who he is and what else he said, can become weaponized optimism when people are going through really difficult things. Stuff just to, that weighs us down even more. So, I want to look at John 14 this morning. Not just that one verse but uh, the, the majority of the verses in this passage, um, in this chapter, to get the context for it, to understand why Jesus saying, do not let your hearts be troubled, is not just weaponized optimism, how it's profound words of comfort and grace in our world. So we'll be reading, uh, as you can see, a selection of verses within chapter 14. This is God's Word, good, beautiful, and true. Do not, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would, have, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough. That'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him. For He lives with you and will be in you. 
I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Verse 25. All this I have spoken while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. For in it you show us who you are and what you're about and thus you show us who we are in you. So as we attend to your words this morning, move upon us by your Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts to see the glory of the gospel to see the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Jesus has just said right before this passage, you may remember from the last few weeks, Jesus is in it's the Last Supper. He's washed the feet of his stubborn disciples. He's told them, Judas is just about to leave to go to betray me, and Judas leaves. And as chapter 13 ends, Jesus tells the disciples something that would have shaken them to the core. He tells Peter... And it's nighttime. He tells Peter, by the time morning comes, you're going to deny you even know me three times. What's happened is Jesus is saying, I'm about to go be crucified. (laughs) The opposition of the religious and political leaders here is going to mean that they're going to kill me. And Peter says, "I'll, I'll die for you. No, you don't understand. I'll give my life for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, actually, before morning even comes, you're going to deny me three times. This has shaken them to the core because Peter, of all the disciples that have followed Jesus, he's kind of like their leader. He's their spokesperson. He's the most sure. He's the one to volunteer right away. He seems like the most confident in who Jesus is and what he's about. And so they've just heard... Jesus say, no, Peter, you actually will deny you even know me three times before morning comes. And they've thought, well, if Peter's going to do that, then what about me? If our, like, spokesman is going to step back, what about me? And Jesus knows that these words he has just spoken have hit hard. And he also knows that these are the last words in the next few chapters that he is going to speak to his disciples before he goes to the cross. And so, before he goes off, because the thing that immediately happens after this scene is Jesus is arrested, he leaves his disciples with some parting words. That's what we have in chapters 14, 15, and 16. And then Jesus prays for them in 17 before he's arrested in chapter 18. So what we're going to do is look at chapter 14, these parting words that Jesus has for his disciples this morning. And what Jesus mentions is a number of different sources of trouble that may be drawing up in their hearts, and he gives them comfort within it. And we're going to look at three sources of trouble that are in this passage, and the first one's this, the source of trouble that is their own future failure. The source of trouble in their hearts about their own future failure. As I mentioned, Jesus has just told them that Peter, their leader, their spokesman, the guy who's most sure is going to deny him three times before morning. And if that's going to happen to Peter, what's going to happen to the rest of them? They're looking at the future 
And all they can see in the moment is the trouble of their hearts about their future failure. Their future failure. Not just past failures, not just things they've done wrong in the past, but their future failure that they're just about to walk into. Notice Jesus does not tell them, be tough, you're going to make it. He doesn't say, put your head down and just barrel through, it's going to be all right. He doesn't pretend there won't be failure. But what does he do instead? He knows there's future failure. He tells them it's coming, and he points them in the midst of it. He points their eyes to him. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe You believe in God. Believe also in me. What is Jesus saying here? He's telling them, listen to my words, because my words are God's words, and what I say goes. Jesus is telling his disciples that he knows future is in their failure, but do you remember what he had said to them in John 3? You are clean. You are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Jesus repeats this in 15, chapter 15, verse 3. You are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. He is reiterating to them, I know there's future failure. I know you're facing some stuff that's going to trouble your heart to the core. But in the midst of your trouble, even in the midst of your failure, look to me and hear my words. Your confidence is in me. He's making abundantly clear before they fail that their hope is in him. And that's our comfort in this world. As long as we breathe in this world, I don't want to be a pessimist here, but as long as we breathe in this world before it is made new by Jesus, we will struggle. We will struggle with sin. We will struggle with selfishness. We may grow. That struggle may change. We may feel like we can walk more confidently in the future. And praise God, He will grow us in that way. But our struggle with sin will last until we take our final breath here or Jesus returns. Jesus knows this too. And what does He say in the midst of their failure and in our failure? Hear my word. You are what I say you are. That's our comfort in this world. When our sin and failure, in the future even, seems like it's too much to bear, Jesus doesn't say, well, it's not that bad. No, sin's the worst thing in the world. Jesus does say, rest on what I've said. Believe the word I've said. And this isn't just wishful thinking or optimism. The words that Jesus says, as he says, are the very words of God. And so, do not let your hearts be troubled, friends, by your failure, even your future failure. You are who Jesus says you are. And in your deepest trouble, run to this. Flee to it. Let this be your sanctuary. Let this be your embassy in this world of sin. Flee to this right away and lean on it. Trust that who Jesus says you are is the truest thing about you. So when Jesus tells us we're justified in God's sight and we're gifted the righteousness of Jesus by faith alone, that's the truest thing about you. He tells you you are an adored son or daughter of God, that God will move heaven and earth literally to find and rescue. Trust that. That's the truest thing about you. Do not let your hearts be troubled by your faith. The second source of trouble that Jesus touches on in this passage is trouble from fear of being abandoned or fear of facing the future alone. Fear of being abandoned or alone. Jesus has been preparing his disciples for his crucifixion and his resurrection. 
And he's told them that after his resurrection, he will remain with them for a little while. But that the day is not far off when the time for them to live with Jesus as they have for the last three years will be gone. Imagine the disciples' experience in this world. They traveled with Jesus for three years. If they had a question, they just looked across the dinner table and were like, Hey, Jesus, what's, you know, they ask him the question. He's right there. They sleep beside him. You know what I mean? They're, 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 they're together. But Jesus is saying, soon, I will not be available to you in the same way. I'm going somewhere you can't follow right now. He's preparing for them all, for this. And of course, as he's saying these things, they're troubled. I would be troubled too <laughs> if I was then. Of course they're, being, they're troubled. It feels very much like they're being left. Right? But what does Jesus tell them? First thing he tells them is he's not just leaving. He's going to prepare a place for them. That's what it says at the beginning of chapter 14. Now we're going to touch on that in more detail next week. But in essence, what Jesus is saying here is, I am not abandoning you. I am going away to carve out this path so that you are with me not just for three years, but that your home is with me forever. He's saying, I am preparing the pathway, the place to ensure that our time together isn't just some good memories from three years of traveling around together, but that so you are reconciled to God, period, for eternity. I am making a room for you in my house forever. That's what he tells them. But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, I'm making a place with you with me for the future, but just like hold on as tight as you can in the here and now and just wait it out. What else does he tell them? He tells them he'll be with them in this in-between times, that he's not leaving them. He's not just saying, remember the good times, I'm going to prepare a place, but you're on, on your own until then, uh, good luck. He says he will be with them all along the way in a way that's actually better than he's been with them for the last three years. Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit. Notice how Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit. He calls him another advocate. The point that Jesus is making here is the Holy Spirit that he is going to send to dwell with and within his people is like him. It's this, he's of the same kind as Jesus. He's not some like lesser go-between. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. He's not an energy. It's not a force. It's not an it. Now we're touching on the Trinity here. That God is God as Father, Son, and Spirit. One God and three persons. And when Jesus speaks of God, think of it. When Jesus speaks of God, He's not just developing an idea. This is what makes Jesus different than theologians. Theologians work with ideas and concepts. They're trying to systematize and make sense of information. But when Jesus speaks of God, he's not developing an idea. He's speaking with insider knowledge. He's not uh, working with a concept or an idea. He's revealing truth. When Jesus speaks of God, he speaks with insider knowledge because he's the Son of God. So when it says in Scripture that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, 
And when Jesus calls upon God as Father, He's not saying that Jesus, the Son of God, is a lesser thing than God the Father. He's saying that He is of the same kind, same type as the Father. In the same way that a human father has a human son, and human fathers don't have, like, dog children. Well, we do call our pets. Anyway, <laughs> human fathers don't have kids that are other things. When it says that God the Father eternally begets, when Jesus says He is of the same kind as the Father, He's saying the Father is divine, so is the Son. Jesus is begotten of the Father, and because, the, because God is eternal, this is something that doesn't happen in time. It's not, like there was, it's not like God the Father was lonely, and He decided, oh, I need to have a son. And so here pops out Jesus, and He's the best first creation, and then everything else is made. That's not how it works. This relationship is of the very essence of who God is. The Father... In eternity, this is the essence of who God is. The Father loves the Son. And the Son loves the Father. And that love that exists between them is the Holy Spirit. And this is the mystery of the Gospel. And why, why we speak about the Trinity? Because the mystery of the Gospel is that this eternal love and joy and abundance of life that exists in eternity has broken into human history to sweep us up into it. And that's what Jesus says in verse 23. Notice He says, My Father will love them, and we will come to them, this is through the Holy Spirit, and make our home with them. Jesus is saying that His work is to remove every barrier that stands in the way of this reality. So Jesus forgives our sin by taking it from us because our sin is a barrier from this happening. He casts out the power of the devil and spiritual darkness that covers this world like a blanket because it is a barrier to this existing. That's how He prepares a place for us with Himself. And as we wait for the day when He will make all things new, when the reality of God's grandeur and redemption will fill all things, as Jesus speaks about in His uh, words in Revelation 21, as we wait for that day, we have present with us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, as a deposit, as a down payment, as the Apostle Paul speaks about later on in the New Testament. A down payment to guarantee that we are not abandoned that we are not left at or as orphans. And the Holy Spirit awakens our hearts to the things of God. The Holy Spirit gives us a new vitality, a new, uh, for lack of a better term, gas to put in our tank. Because we, when we try to rely on our own power to really do anything, we run out. But the idea that another advocate has been sent to comfort us. That the Holy Spirit is with us and within us means that we can draw on this reservoir of power and love and that be the gas in our tank that carries us along. That be the thing that drives us forward. Not us relying on our own strength, or our own power, or our own mixed motives or good, motiva uh, you know, good intentions, but drawing on this truth that God has shown us to be true that we are dearly loved and we will never be abandoned. There will be times in our life when the trouble in our heart will be because we feel profoundly alone. Even when we have the closest friendships, even when we are in marriages with wonderful partners or relationships, even when we are surrounded by people who care for us 
and love us well. There are times in this world when we feel utterly alone. It's going to happen if it's not happening now. There's times when it feels like no one else can simply understand us because we can't, we can't even communicate what's going on within. We're so troubled that we can't verbalize it, so we can't tell anybody. But the good news of the Holy Spirit isn't just that God is out there. Notice how Jesus spoke of it, that the Holy Spirit is with you and within you. Verse 17, He lives with you and will be in you. And the good news of that is that even in our deepest struggles, in our deepest and most lonely emotional times of life, we can know that we are not alone. That we don't have to rely on our ability to verbalize it to be understood. That God knows, and God knows even deeper than we know the reality of our situation. And so when we can't verbalize even our prayers. Uh, Paul talks about this in Romans, that the Holy Spirit groans within us. Groans within us. Even prays for us when our prayers fall short, in a sense. So even in your greatest time of loneliness, when your heart is profoundly troubled because you feel misunderstood, know you are not alone. God is closer than you can imagine. Not just out there. Not just grandeur and transcendence, but God dwells with you and within you. So do not let your hearts be troubled by fear that you are alone or will be abandoned. Why? Because you have been swept up into the unending and inexhaustible love of God, a God who will not leave you and will not forsake you. There's one more trouble in this passage that I think Jesus names, and it's this one. The trouble of not knowing what comes next. It's closely related to the the one we just talked about, but the trouble of not knowing what comes next. Jesus says a lot in these verses. In fact, uh, I've already mentioned it. John chapter 14 through 17 is almost entirely just Jesus talking. It's just His words. And he says so many things, and his disciples are are there. They're hearing him say all these words. But you may notice as you go through, Jesus doesn't actually go into a lot of details. His disciples are surrounding him, but he doesn't say, Okay, Peter, after all this happens, you're going to mostly be in Jerusalem, and then one day you're going to make your way to Rome, and you're going to be important in the church there. He doesn't say, uh, uh, Philip, you're going to Greece and Turkey. He doesn't say... uh, Andrew, you're going to go to what will be Ukraine and Russia. And Thomas, you're going to India. That's where all those guys went in the decades that followed. But Jesus doesn't even give them detail. He doesn't give them a map or even a general direction of where they're going to be going. He does not give them a detailed map of how the next few decades will play out. But what does he say? He knows they're troubled at not knowing what comes next. They can't imagine two decades on what this is, their lives are going to look like. At the moment, they are 12 or 13. Well, Judas just left. They are 12 people in a room. They cannot imagine how the next two decades are going to play out, or three or four. So how does Jesus address their trouble that they won't know what comes next? He does not give them a detailed blueprint. He tells them of his commitment to them. 
so that they can know whatever route they take from this room, wherever they're going to go next in their lives, wherever they, the forks in the road are going to take them, that they are kept, that they are His. He tells them in verse 26 that as they are going to go out into this terrifying world that they don't know exactly where they're going to land, He tells them in verse 26 that the Holy Spirit will remind them of what He has said so that their confidence doesn't have to be in their own memories. He tells them that He is leaving peace with them. And He's not just talking of the peace of circumstances, as wonderful as that is. He's talking of a supernatural peace at their core that will outlast any trouble that they may face. He tells them that they will be enabled to obey Him. He talks about following His commands here out of love. When Jesus speaks about following His commands, He's not saying, do this. I'm just giving you this rule. Jump this high. Figure it out. He tells them they are commandments of love. And that they are freed from condemnation. That they will now be able to see God's instructions not as an enemy that condemns them, but they will now be able to see God's instruction to them as the pathway of wisdom and the pathway of love. And that they won't need to find the inspiration within themselves to walk this pathway that Jesus Himself will empower them through His Holy Spirit. They don't know what comes next, but Jesus confirms that whatever comes next, He is there. Whatever uh, route they wind up taking, He is with them. He is guiding them. He is teaching them to walk in wisdom. He is empowering them to do that. God doesn't give us maps of our lives. I wish He would. This is one area where I wish God would work differently. I remember being like 16 years old and just praying so earnestly for God's will for my life. I wanted to know God's will for my life. Pray for God's will for your life. And I prayed a lot. And what I wanted was like the clouds to spell out like go to this university or date this person. That's what I wanted. I wanted that. I wanted the very clear like this is it. But we don't get that. We don't get that. What we get is this. The assurance from God Himself that wherever we go, we're not alone. We get the freedom and the invitation to walk in wisdom. Think about it. God could give us the, the planned out detail of our lives, but then we're just following the, the thing. We're just walking on our route. But what does He do? He works within us. He makes us people that are going to be motivated by what He loves and what He values. He teaches us to think His thoughts after Him and to follow Him in wherever we wind up. He gives us brains and invites us to use them. He doesn't treat us like robots or mechanical things to just kind of puppets to control. He gives us the dignity of responding and being motivated and awakened to His love. This is what He does. We don't get a detailed map, but we get assurances from Him that wherever we go, we're not alone. We get invitations to walk in wisdom, to obey Him in love. We get the peace that is beyond understanding, not just the feeling of peace, but the reality of peace. That Jesus has not yet and will not ever leave us. He's leading us home to Him and He is always with us. This is what we get when we stare at a future we don't understand. So friends, do not let your hearts be troubled about not knowing what comes next. God knows what comes next and He will not leave you hanging. 
Whatever trouble you may walk into in the future that you do not understand, He has seen it, and He's also seen the end of it. Whatever thing you're struggling through or will struggle through, He has seen it, He knows it, and He also knows the healing of it. Walk in His wisdom and live in His peace wherever you land. There are three times in the Gospel of John, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, I think. There are three times in the Gospel of John where Jesus Himself is said to be troubled. It describes Jesus as troubled. And that word that it uses for troubled is the same word that Jesus uses here when He tells His disciples to not let their hearts be troubled. So Jesus cannot be saying here, it is a sin for your heart to be troubled because Jesus Himself was troubled. And when was Jesus troubled? We see it in John chapter 11, 12, and 13. In chapter 11, He was troubled profoundly by grief. A friend of His has died, and He sees the sisters of this friend Lazarus weeping, and He grieves with them. He weeps with them. And so Jesus is troubled at grief. We see Jesus troubled in chapter 12 when He realizes that it's time for Him to face crucifixion. He's troubled at suffering and His own death. In chapter 13, we see Jesus profoundly troubled, same word, at the betrayal of Judas, realizing that this close friend and follower is going to turn Him in to be arrested. Why would Jesus enter into this trouble? He entered in all this trouble with eyes wide open because He was pursuing us in it. He knows we face trouble, and so He faces it in His life so that we might know that He can sympathize with our weakness. Then we, we pray in Jesus' name. We're not praying to some aloof... It's not like if you've ever spoken to somebody who grew up in incredible wealth. They live unimaginable lives. I'm not going to pick on Paris Hilton, but th there was a reality show called... Was it Simple Life? Right? Early 2000s. I remember it was like second season or something, and somebody says something about going to Walmart. She's like, what is that? What do they sell at Walmart? Walls? Now, I don't know if she was playing a part. <laughs> I hope so. Um, but there, there are folks that live unimaginable lives. It's almost talking to an alien civilization in the difference between what people experience. But that's not what we're talking about when we talk about our God. The eternal Son of God came and experienced what we experienced. So we might know we are not talking to a God who may be a completely different being than us. He's God and we're not. We talk to a God who knows our experience because as one of us in the Son, He has experienced it. As Jesus finds trouble in His life, He's pursuing us in the midst of it so that He can sympathize with our, in our weakness, so we can know that we are understood and that our trouble is not off-limits to God. Our trouble is not something for us to work through and then we can come to God. But it's not just that. It's not just Jesus going on kind of like an exploratory mission. It's not like Star Trek, like they're going to find this civilization and figure it out. Jesus entered into our troubles so that we might know our troubles have an end date, that they can't have the final word. How did Jesus' trouble wind up? He's facing death. What does Jesus show us 
When we stare at the death and resurrection of Jesus, we see this profound truth enacted in front of us for all who trust in God. Death has to lead to resurrection. That's what God does in death. He works life. For all who trust in God, death leads to resurrection. Shame leads to vindication. Grief leads to joy. This is what God does. It has to. There are so many troubles in this world in closing. We've mentioned three that the disciples experienced, but we could name more. I could open the floor and ask troubles of your heart, and we're going to hear about worries about children. We'd hear about uh, difficult relationships within a family. We'll hear about sickness and disease, etc., etc. But in the world of our trouble, let's find comfort in Jesus. When he says, do not let your hearts be troubled, it's not a religious, don't worry, be happy. It's more like this. There is trouble, it is real, but your hearts will not be conquered by it. There is trouble, but it will not last forever. There is trouble, but that trouble is not your home. So in close, hear these words of your Jesus to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. I am the way and the truth and the life. You are not alone. The Holy Spirit is your advocate, your helper. And I will not leave you as orphans. Anyone who loves me, the Father will love them, and we will come to them, and we will make our home with them. Peace I live with you. Peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words of comfort. That they aren't just spoken flippantly, but when we join them to the Jesus, uh, the other things he said and the things he accomplished, we hear and know the profound comfort of the gospel. Impress it upon our hearts that we may remember this as we face trouble. As I said earlier, when, when the trouble's loud, when the lies are loud in this world, let's crank that gospel truth up to 11, all the way up. Teach us to do that. Teach us to trust in you and to rest in you. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus.